Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires hello hi nice to see you again you know that you were voted idol of the millennium or something (laughs) and i was number two wow that's pretty impressive i mean i guess that's an accomplishment of some kind when you're firmly in middle age Welcome to Literally With Me, Rob Lowe. Today, we are kicking off season two. I've had so much fun making this podcast. I hope you enjoyed season one as much as I did. And uh, season two is shaping up to be even more fun. And we're starting it off with a little celebration of the 80s, a little throwback. We're getting in the time machine. And if you're going to talk 80s, you got to go with the number one icon, Molly Ringwald. Um, She is our first guest of the second season, and um, man, we're going to get into it. But there's also more good news. We're going to do this thing called the hashtag Sax Challenge on social media and the trailer for Parks and Recollection, the new additional podcast I'm hosting with Alan Yang, which is a celebration of all things Parks and Rec, is out. So it's a big week, and we're celebrating. Anyway, but let's stay on track. Molly Ringwald. She's pretty in pink. She was on the cover of Time magazine um, before I was. Okay, I've, I've never been on the cover of Time magazine, but I digress. Let's get down with Molly Ringwald. It can't be that the last time we saw each other was when we worked together, can it? Because that was a bazillion years ago. I think that was actually the last time we saw each other. Oh, my God. For those of you who don't know, we did the stand together, the great Stephen King 
miniseries. I loved that miniseries. Did you like it as much as I did? I loved it. I did. I really did. I, I know that they just did a new one, which seemed like a like sort of odd timing. Either really great timing or really terrible timing. Right? But, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. But yeah, I really did like the one that we did together. I thought it was special in a good way. I'll tell you what was really special about it is Stephen King was there all the time and he adapted yeah. it. And super nice guy. Right? Super nice guy. And I remember going to a lot of, we shot it all in Utah. And I remember going to a lot of Utah jazz games with Stephen King. And there's this great moment. We were walking through a parking garage and it was, we were just kind of silent and we, we kind of got, couldn't find the car for a minute. And he was like, parking garages are scary. <laughs> I, I want to write, I want to write about a parking garage. I was like, well, you know, when Stephen King is scared in a parking garage, yeah. it's scary. And I'm sure he did write it like in a day. Speaking of writing, I went back and reread re a lot of your writing. I love your writing so much. Oh, thank you. I really, I really, really do. I was trying to think of why, like what it is that I respond to in your style. And I think you have a tremendous clarity and insight and you, but you don't write in a showy way and yet it's totally evocative and it's like, I, I, there's a great quote I have on my desk that Da Vinci said is, um, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I've taken to collecting really good quotes. Um, <laughs> and I, I think you kind of write in that, in that, in that style, um, have you, who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite, um, like celebrity mem memoir? Mine was the David Niven books. I don't know if you've ever read those. You know, I don't, I don't think I've read a lot of celebrity memoir books. I think I, I, when I read, it's mostly, um, it's mostly fiction. I think that's kind of what's, what's always, you know, kind of drawn me in. Um, yeah. I think the Louise Brooks though, I think I was always, um, you know, I, whenever I read a celebrity, uh, you know, biography, it's usually somebody that I'm, you know, sort of interested in for, for some reason, you know, maybe thinking about playing her in a movie or I, I don't know. Um, so the last one that I really remember loving was, uh, was Lulu in Hollywood. That's a good one. I really like the ones where, where it's pretty clear that the person is, is writing it themselves or, or if, they're ghost written. It's it's so um, well ghost written that that it doesn't take you out of it. But I think you know there's a few that that really write. Like I think Mia writes her own. Julie Andrews. I read hers. Hers mm. is pretty great. Yeah. Um, I have so much admiration for writers. Um, it's such a, in my experience, it's such a sort of difficult and torturous. <laughs> thing to do as opposed to acting, which, you know, I've been doing since the day I was born. So it's, it's a little easier, but, uh, but writing is, I, I don't know. I just have so much respect for writers. Um, so when somebody manages to, to do it well, it's, um, inspiring. Was the first time that people were aware of your writing was when you wrote about John Hughes after he passed, do you think the New Yorker piece probably? Um, At least it was for me, I, think, I know. You know, getting published in the New Yorker for for any anyone is sort yeah. of like the pinnacle. I mean, it's if yeah. you if you want to be published anywhere, um, it sort of is like it's it's like a stamp. You know, like <laughs> yes. okay, this person's an actual writer; they're not you know yeah. a dilettante. Um, yeah. But you know, I'd been writing for years. Um, you know, I, I'd been writing sort of like you know book reviews and profiles. You know, I, I had a friend who um, is a writer. Uh, named Dave Daly. I don't know if you've 
read his book. Um, it's about he kind of wrote the book on gerrymandering called. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, called Rat Fucked. Uh, <laughs> before, I love that title. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they that's what they call it. Um, uh, so he he before he was writing full time, he was a um, an editor and a publisher, and he was one of those people that just I don't know, uh, kind of uh, encouraged me to write at a time when I didn't think that I necessarily could. Or that, let's put it this way, I didn't think that anyone would accept me as a writer because I sort of grew up in this time, as did you, but I'm a woman, where you're only supposed to do one thing, you know, yeah. and if you do anything else, then no one's going to take you seriously. And, you know, and so I like to sing and I like to write, but I thought, oh, no one's going to take me seriously as a writer. And my friend Dave was just relentless with, here, I want you to, you know, he knew that I liked, for instance, uh, the magnetic fields. And he would say, I want you to write, are you interested in doing a profile on Stephen Merritt, you know, or whatever. And so he would just, he was the person that kind of really encouraged me and just sort of kept me writing. And then, um, and then I just got better, I think, because I don't think anybody, well, maybe some people start as a good writer, but I think it took me many years to, to really get better and to really kind of call myself a writer. My writing journey began with uh, ghost, for lack of a better term, ghost writing screenplays that I would end up in. Like it'd be a script I'd be in and I'd be like, eh, yeah, yeah I'll do it. I don't, I don't, uh. and then, <laughs> and then you're kind of like at lunch in your trailer, scribbling out different speeches and what have you. And I, I did that a lot. And um, yeah. that's what got sort of started. Did you ever do any ghost writing or like body and fender work on any of your movies? Oh, Yeah. I, I definitely did. I mean, I, I in the John Hughes movies that I did, um, you know, so much of that was um, was improvised. I mean, the scripts are really great to start out with, but he was really open to um, to improv and to you know just making shit up and, um, you know, but but I don't think everybody was like him. I've worked with a lot of people who are really precious about their writing and um, make it really difficult to change even one word. And so after a while, you sort of, you know, throw up your hands a little bit. Um, yeah. But in my in my experiences, the best writers are actually the ones that are the most open to to what you're talking about. I don't know. Is that has that been your experience or I mean, it- I would say that. And then and then I think of Aaron Sorkin, who's a great writer and you are not yeah. changing jack shit. <laughs> Well, I was talking to Brad Whitford actually the other day, who was who you worked with in West yeah, yeah. Wing, and I said to him what I just said to you, and then he brought up Aaron Sorkin, and my <laughs> response to that is Aaron Sorkin is in his own. You have like Shakespeare over here, and I, you know, I honestly think yeah. you have Aaron Sorkin over here, so he doesn't count. We just like take him out of the equation. Exactly. When he's he's listening, Aaron, you, you're you're in your you've made it. You're in the same breath as as Shakespeare. <laughs> um, I you know what's funny is. Um, when people talk about the Brat Pack, they always assume, first of all, that maybe you and I had done more movies than we did together. We never did. We'd never worked together at all until the 90s. And then I never was in a John Hughes movie. John Hughes was not calling my number. for, And I've been thinking about it for a while. I was like, why is it? Because I auditioned for Breakfast Club. Did you? Yeah. I auditioned. For which, for which part? For um, Bender, for the, ju- the part that Judd Nelson played. Okay. Did you did you get like did you go the distance or did you just do one audition? I don't think I, I barely made it out of my interview with John. <laughs> I and the only rem, my only memory was I, the script was great. Yeah, it was great. It was great. You're like, oh, this is going to be great. And I just remember um, the Bender character in the script wore a cowboy hat. 
And then I'll did? never forget his line. I, I promise you, because it's not something I would just like make up. And like, why do I remember that? A, a, a cowboy hat? The, I'm telling you, Molly, in the original draft, Bender was wearing a cowboy hat. And then, of course, when I saw Judd with his, you know, literally that is Judd Nelson's actual outfit with the untied shoes. That man never tied a shoelace in his life. Well, you know what what John did? I don't know if you know this, but he he asked me to do The Breakfast Club just as 16 Candles uh, was ending because he had actually already cast it with local Chicago actors. In fact, Joan Cusack was going to play Allison and John, I think, was going to play uh, Bender. And then the wow. studio wanted to do 16 Candles first because it was much more... I don't know, like, I mean, even though it was a female lead, it was kind of more of the teen movies that everyone was used to in terms of like big parties and, you know, all that stuff. Um, So so then he offered me uh, a part at the end of of that. And I remember reading it on a plane. He wanted me to play Allison at first. And I lobbied for the role of Claire, who was called Kathy at the time. Um, I like lobbied hard. I was like, please, you know, no one would ever think of me in this broad. They, they'd only think of me as the weird girl and, you know, the introvert and all of that stuff. And so, and so then I did it. Um, but by the time that we got to, I think this was, I think we filmed in February and he had offered it to me at the end of summer. By the time we actually got to rehearsal, he called me up and he's like, are you excited? And I was like, yeah, but you know, it's a really different script. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I, you know, it's just like so different than the one that I read. And he was like, huh. And then the next day he brought in a stack of Breakfast Club scripts that he had written. And he just handed them out to all of us and 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 said, OK, pick your favorite, pick your favorite part. And these speeches just got put back in and characters were cut because he was he was trying to appease the studio you know so he had right. like a new uh, like a nude teacher swimming and he you know had this and that but you know he he always maintained that his scripts really never got a lot better in rewrites um he didn't like to rewrite because he felt like they just didn't get better so i mean i've never experienced that before where a writer director was like pick your favorite parts <laughs> By the way, if you take nothing away else at all away from this conversation, just know that the way to appease a studio is nude teachers swimming. <laughs> that's, Back in the day, that that's was what they it. want. That's what they're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I used to. Um, I always knew that on page seventy-two, I had the page seventy-two rule. On page seventy-two, invariably, that would be when the character they wanted me to play would be nude. <laughs> it was always on page seventy-two. Always. And what did you do? Did you, did you do it? Did you turn it down? Did you have a body double? What? Sometimes I did it. Sometimes I turned it down. But it was always on page. I think every script written in the 80s, if you can get it on microfiche at the library, my favorite word, um, <laughs> uh, on page 72, you'll see the, the characters having something steamy. Just had to do yeah. it. Like, you know, nude teachers swim. That's what they do. And the, I mean, you know, we, that's what they do up at school. Come on. Yeah. Evidently nude. Te- yeah. Teachers like to hang out on a Saturday and, and just swim nude in the school pool. Like any teacher's going to want to be at a school where they work on a Saturday. It, it made absolutely no sense. But, but the other part is somebody has to be watching, of course. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You got to make it as creepy as possible. Like if you swim nude and nobody <laughs> watches, did it really, did you really swim nude? Did it, did it happen? Did it happen? <laughs> That's really the question. Um, yeah. So I auditioned for John and it's, listen, it's not like John only made one or two movies that I would have been right for. I mean, let's 
fucking get real for a minute. Uh, I could have been in a lot of John Hughes movies. Nope. Yeah. No ringy dingy. No phone call. <laughs> no incoming phone call. He was not having what I was selling. And I, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it is. And here's what I think it is. Here's my philosophy. And I know you have many philosophies on John. And uh-huh. I, and I've and not, and just from a 50,000 foot view, I think you're spot on. But I think would it would, would you think it would be unfair to say that John had a little bit of Svengali in him? Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I was a lot of things, but I was definitely not the kind of person that you went, ooh, that's a guy who needs a Svengali. (laughs) I think I think you were I think you were probably too good looking for him. I think, Mm. you know, he was he was very uh, he was very intimidated by, you know, very good looking guys. And I mean, you're still a good looking guy, but like at, at the at the time, I mean, no, you're a great looking guy. I mean, let's be let's be real here. But at the time, I think you were just like Apollo, and I think, <laughs> and and he was super intimidated by that. God, you with a cowboy hat? I couldn't take the curse off of it. Wait a minute, I want to know: Did you go to the audition with a cowboy hat? No. And oh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. It was a straw cowboy hat, not just any cowboy hat. I was thinking straw. I guess. I guess it's kind of a Midwestern thing. I uh-huh. guess it is. Yeah, no, I straw cowboy hats are definitely like rural Indiana, I, r- rural Illinois for sure. You you can get you can get away with it. Um, huh. But no, I'm not a hat guy. I've never been able to pull off a hat, and I knew that if I did put on the hat, I, there, there's no way I was getting the part. <laughs> That's so funny. So, what was he like in the audition? I actually never auditioned for John. Um, yeah. So, I'm always curious to know uh, what that experience was like for for other people. I I mean, really, I think the only it was he was unremarkable. The only thing I the only reason I remember it is because I knew it was going to be it was a very a movie everybody wanted to be in, and it was really going to be good. And and you know, like you've said before, is um, you know, this was a I, Breakfast Club to, to this day. I show it. I mean, it is, for me, the movie of the 80s. It stands up. I mean, there's stuff in it, clearly, that's very, very dated, which you've written eloquently about. But it's, like, revolutionary. Like, along with Fast Times. Along with Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like, they're real movies. Yeah. And, you know, we weren't offered movies like that. They weren't making movies like that. So, um, to be in a, you know, a real movie um, was was an exciting thing, although it was not to be. And I blame the fucking cowboy hat. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just going to let my dogs in because they're going to win. Yeah, let them in. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. I, look, I love California. Um, and I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, 
You have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. What kind of dogs you got there over there? Oh, I, I have a few. I have five. I have three dogs. I have um, I have a, a little tiny dog. Here, come here. Oh, yes. This is Millie Ringwald. Millie Ringwald. Millie Ringwald, yeah. That's the greatest. Has, has her own Instagram. Oh. Um, I mean, come on. Like, uh, she, th- I, this this needs an, their own Instagram. Her, she needs her own Time Magazine cover. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, she does. Why don't you do that? <laughs> Ain't she sweet? Ain't she sweet? I remember, <laughs> by the way, I remembered that that's what the tagline was. Yeah. Yeah. How can you I forget? Wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that. When I saw that, I was like, okay, there, there you are. There, there's your, uh, there, now, now you're going to be typecast pretty much for the next 40 years. How did that, how, when they tell you you're going to be on the cover of Time Magazine, at how old were you? 18? I was, yeah, I was 18. What's that like? I got the, I got the cover of Bop Magazine at 18. <laughs> That's where my career was. Tiger Heat. Um, I, I didn't understand that it was as big of a deal as it was. Um, it was, uh, it was actually Warren Beatty. Um, who I'm still friends with, who was the one to tell me that it was a really, really big deal because I was like, you know, I was really psyched about Seventeen magazine. I mean, I was a kid, and so yeah. Time magazine. I, I just didn't, 
I wasn't reading Time Magazine at the time. I didn't really care all that much about it, but I knew that everybody else really cared about it. And of course, now I realize that it was it was a big deal. Um, Today, now that no one cares about Time Magazine or any other magazine, <laughs> yeah, I care. That's right. That's true. But I, I still feel like it's you know it's an honor. Like I, I remember going to a, a a party in the '90s where everyone who was ever on the cover of Time um, was invited to, with the wow. exception of three people. And see if you can guess who those three people were who were not invited. Okay, what time? What? What? Yeah, I need to know what year it was. Uh, this was like ninety. These late late nineties. <sighs> Muammar Gaddafi. Um. He. Well, I don't know if he was invited, but no, that's not one of the three. Monica Lewinsky. Yes. Bing, 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 bing. Ding, 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 and two more. Uh, hang on, hang on now, <laughs> hang on now. Um. Okay, who are the other two? Who are the other two? Ken Starr. Yes. And O.J. Simpson. Yeah, O.J. couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, those are the – and everybody else. I mean, I, I invited my friend Victoria, and it was one of these experiences. I mean, I'm sure you've had these experiences where you're just like, wow, anybody that I would ever want to meet is in this room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and who who is it? Like, who do I really want to talk to or have a conversation with? And so my friend, and I'm pretty shy, um, but my friend who I invited is not at all. I mean, she will meet and talk to anyone. And I, I always like to to be around people like that because it makes me a lot more um, outgoing. And, and she said, let's pick two people each and go and meet them and talk to them. And I said, okay. So my two people were Anita Hill and Toni Morrison. Wow. And her two people were uh, Bill Gates and Gorbachev. I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's a, by the way, that sounds like a, an actual dream. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at Anita, Anita Hill, and then I talked to Gorbachev. It sounds like a dream. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and and everybody and everybody seemed really excited to be there, and you know, and happy to to be social, and it wasn't, you know, it 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 felt kind of exciting. Yeah. So I mean, I, when I think about Time Magazine and what that means, you know, I was I was I felt pretty proud to be, you know, because I've yeah. never gotten awards or been nominated for anything. I think I was nominated for. One thing, uh, like best newcomer at the Golden Globe Awards, but lost out to Sandal Berkman, who was in that movie Red Sonia. Yeah, Red Sonia. What are you gonna do? Red Sonia beat beat me. I, I've lost to a long <laughs> line of luminaries. Believe me. Um, tell me, because I'm a huge Warren Beatty fan and know him a little bit, but not, not like you do and not like a lot of my, of my friends do. And he's, a, I mean, he's one of my idols. It's like yeah, who I kind of, you know, um, thought like he was it. I did have one great, one amazing evening at his house where we, he screened a Burt Reynolds double feature. He had just won the Oscar for Reds. He had oh. just won it. And the notion that he had to really do a deep dive on Burt Reynolds's oeuvre kind of made me laugh. Yeah, I wonder what he was doing. I mean, he must have been researching something. I just remember him turning to me in the screening room. I mean, he insisted that I, yeah, I was with my girlfriend and he was with his his girlfriend of the moment and he insisted that I sit next to him and that he, <laughs> in halfway through the movie, he turned to me and he goes, mm, yes, I see. I go, what? <laughs> he goes, yes, you see, he's, he's using so many long lenses. Mm. And I remember going, whoa, oh, my God, how does he know what lens? 
Yeah, he's pretty he's pretty amazing um, to talk to and and not just about his his technological prowess and his understanding of films, but he pretty much has met everyone. Everyone. And not just met, but has had a, a conversation or a story about everyone. And I really wish that he would he would write, you know, his <sighs> his memoir because I mean I know a lot of the stories, but I've I've never written them down and I just I think it's just so interesting and fascinating. And there's just not that many people you know, in our business that are that are left that have that kind of, uh, uh, you know, sort of access to like old Hollywood, old yep. theater, you know, and and also, I mean, he had a, you know, an experience with Marilyn Monroe, you know, like it's just that story is amazing. The Marilyn Monroe story. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just and, and I'll butcher it. I don't really I've heard it apocryphal yeah, a bunch, yeah. but <laughs> OK, I was going through your um, credits Credits, credits. And were you in the short film of Sling Blade? I was. What? Yeah. It was interesting. I was I was living in France at the time and kind of, you know, I, I would say I, I put my career firmly on the back burner, um, but stuff was still sent to my parents' house. <laughs> and, um, and it was my mom who called me up in Paris and she was like, you know... There's the script that I got that I just, you know, I think is really interesting. And it was this short film called Some Folks Call It a Sling Blade. And uh, I came back to, to shoot it. It was not directed by Billy Bob. It was it was um, directed by a, a man who has since died named George Hickenlooper. Did you know him? Yeah. Oh, I, I know the name. I didn't know he was involved in that. Yeah. Um, so he directed it and um, and Billy Bob was in it. And I played the reporter who um, who comes to interview him at the hospital. Uh, and it was really interesting because at when when we met before um, at, at a diner or something, he said, you know, I, I kind of I do this this character. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want me to just, you know, wait or do you want me to do it now or do you want to wait? And I was like, you know, save it. Save it. I want. I want to see it the like the first time. So the first time that I ever saw him do it, the camera was on me. No, and <laughs> that was like a completely authentic. I mean, I was not acting in that. I was just amazing. I mean, he was amazing. He completely transformed, and and yeah, it was it was extraordinary. I was really uh, happy to be a part of that. I was not so happy that he didn't call me back to uh, to be a part of the movie. I sort of was really bummed out about that. Yeah. But I guess the movie really didn't focus on on that. It really focused on him outside of the hospital. Yeah, so. I don't even remember uh, the reporter being in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't think it was. But um, yeah, that that was really really something. That character. People forget, and um, I know Billy a little bit. In fact, Billy is the person who told me I should write. Mm. he's he was my guy that was like you should be writing and yeah. so I'm indebted to him and, and I've always been a huge fan but he told me the story he's a, and I can't do a Billy Bob Thornton impersonation I used to be able to but it's been too long but I wish I could because it helps the story but he said he was sitting in some like honey wagon on some awful movie that he hated and waiting to act and just like is this is this my life is this I'm like the seventh lead in a shitty movie up in fucking some freezing Canadian town in the middle of the winter. And he's looking at himself in the mirror and he just made that face. He made 
the Carl sling blade face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one. And then did the. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he started just fucking around, like just because <laughs> he was bored, just entertaining himself. Yeah. And that was the origin of Carl. Yeah. And that was the origin of, of Sling Blade. And, and then he told me he wrote a short. And I said, wait, it was a short? And then to see that you were in it. It's definitely one of my cooler credits. Like that one and, and like Jean-Luc Godard, I kind of like put that. And, and working with Cassavetes, I sort of, I put all of those sort of at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, do you still talk to him? I haven't seen him in a long time. I, I talked to him um, a lot. When he was, because my my um, my best friend was uh, who passed away a few years ago was Bill Paxton, and Bill and he were really really good buddies and did um, numerous movies uh, together. Um, One false move um, is a great Sam Raimi movie. So that was sort of my, you know, intersection with with uh, with Billy Bob. Um, God, I love him, and that I can't believe I'm so jealous. Who else was in the movie? Was it just my my my? I feel like it was like shot in a black box with a dangling light and it's just you and Billy. That's what I feel like it was like. Yeah, no, it was it was another really fantastic actor who I think might have been in the um the actual movie um and I'm blanking on his name and It's JT Walsh. Yeah. I think that was him. I bet it was. He he was he was another patient. Yeah, it's the, him. He's insane. Yeah. He's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he 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 he's died since then, but he was he was amazing. Suzanne Cryer played the. Do you know Suzanne Cryer? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that was her first job. She never she came out of Yale drama and had never even been on film before. And I remember you know telling her like what marks were and <laughs> to kind of like yeah. you know favor the camera a little bit, you know, and and you know, and then of course she went on uh, to have a great career. I'm trying to think of who else was in it. Billy Bob. Oh oh, you know who was in it is Jefferson Mays. Oh, Jefferson Mays. Um, great actors. Yeah, great actor. Yeah, it was it was a really cool project. Do you ever feel um because you've been acting since you were li literally you're not kidding like what, what, like a baby right yeah 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 so that stuff like favor to the camera what marks are it's so in your DNA yeah that like it's just it's like it's in your DNA you don't even think about it I haven't thought about it in years and then you, you you work with somebody who's brand 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 new and you're like oh bless them. Yeah. Listen, if you can't see the camera, <laughs> the camera can't see you. Yeah. Do you have to do that with Emilio Estevez? You did, didn't you? You had to be like, Emilio, <laughs> these are marks. I know your papa didn't have them in the jungle when he was making Apocalypse Now. But this is a library set. <laughs> no, Emilio had done a few things before, um, you know, before we did Breakfast Club, right? <laughs> Yes. He, he did Repo Man. He did, well, of course, The Outsiders. Yeah. He did a few stuff. Yeah, I was just buzzing. Um, I mean, I, all of those people, I mean, I'm trying to think. So, Allie, I did two movies with. Emilio, I did two movies with. Um, Judd, I did one movie with. That's sort that's, that's the main group of The Breakfast Club, right? Yeah, well, Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, never worked with him. I loved him. He was so good in those movies and still is. He's an amazing yeah. actor. Yeah, he really is. He uh, He's so funny, so smart. I don't know if you've been watching um, the Bo Burnham uh, Inside. Yes, of course. Um, there's something, I mean, I'm 
kind of obsessed. And, um, you know, now I think I've watched it like five times all the way through just because I'm so I'm so intrigued to know how he how he did it, basically. Like, I want to, like, take it apart like a watch and then put it back together again. (laughs) Um, But there's something in Bo Burnham that reminds me a lot of Anthony Michael Hall. I don't know. It's like just how incredibly smart and sharp. And also when I knew Michael, he was really tall. Like he grew just overnight to, you know, I think he's way over six feet and he's kind of gangly and, mm-hmm. you know, love George Carlin. There's, there's just something in the two of them that I, that I think is really similar. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen him for years. I, um, I visited, can't remember what set it was. Which one of your your movies was Joan Cusack in? She was in Sixteen Candles. She played the um, the neck brace girl. Right. That's yes. And is Michael Schofling in that? Yes, of course he is. He's the guy. Michael. Yeah, Michael Schofling is the guy. I visited yeah. that set. Didn't meet you, but I was there one day. I was really in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, I was doing class. Oh yeah, and John Cusack was in class. That's right. Right. And That's right. Andrew McCarthy. That's right. So I, I came and I remember meeting everybody. And then my girlfriend at the time was going off to do a movie with Michael Schofling then later. And I was like, ooh, that handsome little bastard. <laughs> I was very jealous of Michael Schofling. And Michael Schofling's just like disappeared. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean just completely from, from public eye anyway. Uh, he just tapped out. He said, I've had enough. I'm taking my winnings and leaving the casino of Hollywood. And, yeah. And, and, and I think he's the last I heard he's like a carpenter. I don't, I don't know if that's just like an urban legend or, or what, but I'm No, I'm that's, uh, that's Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> no, he's a tailor, isn't he? Oh, that. Yes. <laughs> isn't, he, isn't he a tailor or making it, or, shoes or, is he or something? A, is he a cobbler? Maybe he's a cobbler. I think it's a cobbler. Maybe he's making cobbler. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis's fruit cobbler. <laughs> so insane. Um, tell okay, I'm obsessed with the pickup artist because here's what I remember about the pickup artist. Okay, that was another one that, like, as a young actor, everybody's like, "Ooh, the pickup artist!" Like, to- James Toback, ooh, edgy James Toback, <laughs> and and Warren Beatty is like he he was like under his auspices and everybody wanted to be in it. And it was all very mysterioso. And, you know, I just picture these meetings at the Warren's Mulholland spaceship house. And (laughs) I just, it's, it's become this like mythical movie to me. And, Uh and then there was the, there, there's the urban legend that he, that Toback is, is such an inveterate gambler that he chose the locations to be close to the off track betting sites have you heard that I, one? I, I, I yeah, it, that doesn't surprise me <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah, it was. Uh, did wait? Did you did you do any of the? I know that Warren had a lot of um, readings at his house, sort of like trying out different people. Did you ever do any of those? No. Again, you know, Warren, like John Hughes, was not was not calling my number. Um, <laughs> I, and I don't know what it means. I'm very disappointed that my hero Aww. was not. I know. But he's always said nice things about you. Oh, I love hearing that. <laughs> I, I'm a huge Warren fan. What can I say? Just the, he's, he's the man. But I was very – now I remember why I remember it so much because I, I, I was in therapy over it that I never got to go to, you know? <laughs> that was a cool house though. You, you went to the spaceship house, right? Uh, right. Okay. So my memory of it – okay. This is great because I've never – this is – oh, thank you. Because my memory of it is it's a fucking spaceship and <laughs> – and when I went, there was no 
furniture or very little furniture, except the Oscar was on the mantle for reds. And mm. he and he and he said, yeah, I'm sorry. I just haven't had a chance to really furnish it. I've been I've been away shooting for a couple of years. I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I know. I, I know. I think maybe you went to the spaceship house before I did, because by the time I I went there, uh, there there was some furniture, not a lot. It was not a it was a pretty sparse house, but I remember this big, huge, grand piano. Yes, and, I think that was and there. Then, and because Warren plays uh, piano, actually, he did piano bar before you know while he was um, you know supporting himself as a as an up and coming uh, actor. Um, and then I remember, uh, you know, the next time I was there, there was just a Degas statue <laughs> that was just sort of casually placed on the piano. <laughs> I was like, what? You got the Degas. I got the yeah. Oscar. That's that's that was his move. Just oh, by the way. Yeah, um, by the way. So were you were you always the, the like so who did you read with? Who are the different people that you came up and read with up there at the spaceship house? Um, I never read with anyone, but I. I knew that that readings were happening. Like I really wanted to do it because I just really wanted to work with Warren. Um, yeah, you know, I of just, I mean, I would have loved to have, you know, been in a movie that Warren directed. And Warren kind of, I mean, Toback was the director, but you know, Warren was involved, so he was he was directing everyone um, all the time. Um, but I remember he would call me and say, you know, what do you, hey hey, what do you think of what do you think of Demi Moore? What do you think of you know, Susie Amos, what do you think of? And he would, he would ask me what I thought of all these other actresses and it was driving me crazy. I was like, just cast me. I want to oh. be in it, you know, but he was like, I don't know if this part is big enough for you, you know, cause this is after pretty in pink and you know, everything. But I liked, I actually really liked the idea of, of playing supporting roles coming out of those movies. You know, I really wanted to kind of not feel like a movie was sitting on my shoulders. Um, so right. I, I liked that idea. Um, and I liked the script. I thought the script was funny. And, you know, of course, it would never get made today. Um, None of them would. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's hard when you go through the, your your resume, when one goes through one's resume, it's I mean, Breakfast Club. I can't imagine that ever getting made. It certainly wouldn't get made as a movie to be in the movie theater. Um, no. If if barely at all. I mean. It'd be you know. made for absolutely a shoestring, and it would be, yeah. you know, a Sundance movie if you're if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, and I I kind of miss that. I have to say, I miss I miss movies that aren't spectacles. I mean, I enjoy going to spectacles too. I just went to see The Black Widow with you know, with my kids, and you know, I'm not a big superhero kind of movie, but you know, I enjoyed it. But the part that I enjoyed the most was the relationship with the the, the acting. With the, yeah, the acting and the and the relationship between um, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character and and uh, Florence Pugh. Um, yeah, I thought they were amazing, and I thought that the reason why it's a good movie is because you are invested in these people. You know, I think you'd be great in a Marvel movie. I, I, yeah. I th as a Marvel mastermind, I want you as I, I see you as a mastermind, though. I yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, with that, yeah, with those hands, <laughs> like that, that vibe. Yeah. I would actually love that. I would love to play a supervillain. By the way, just the notion of you, your name, like, and guess who's playing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. What's a, what's a, give me a supervillain name. What's a, like a just a? Let's make up your own. 
Well, I always thought, I mean, it's not a Marvel property. I think it's DC, but I thought if I ever did a, a supervillain, I would want to play Bookworm. Oh, great. <laughs> there you go. I mean. How cool would that be? <laughs> I think it'd be super fucking hip. Yeah. Well, let's put it out there, Rob. Let's put it out there in the universe. Yeah. Uh, you be Bookworm. I want to be Green Hornet. Oh, okay. I believe I could be Green you know, I mean, it could happen. You know, they're going to run out of actors at some point. At some point, yeah. And and I feel like uh, it would just be, it would be such a great opportunity to get in shape, you know? Like, I really want to be <laughs> yeah. put on that, like, Marvel, oh. Marvel diet. Like, I just, you know? Yes. <laughs> right? I, and take those, 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 whatever they're doing to, to look like that. You know, I want some of that. <laughs> I say that same thing all the time. I go, the whole point of being in is Marvel is to have... You know, Dr. Feelgood, he probably carries a Marvel doctor bag that has the Marvel logo on it. And he shows totally. up to he shows up to every actor who's 20 pounds overweight, who just signed to play the, the you know, the green henchman or whatever the fuck character it is. Yeah. And opens up that bag. And the next thing you know, you are on s- drugs and you are just shredded. Yeah. You don't know what yeah. hit you. That's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> I mean... It's quite something. Do you think there's like a, a special floor at the Marvel building where they there have like actors be. on treadmills, like where they do animal experimentation, except <laughs> it's on actors. <laughs> and they're like, have you seen Kamel Najani? Look at him. He's went from a from a 36 inch waist to a 28 inch waist. He's got a tortoiseshell abs. Yeah, I'm sure they are all ripped. I mean, they just they all look better than they will ever look in their entire lives. So. So, yeah, I, I feel like if, if, if that could happen, I would definitely be up for a superhero movie. Do you know that I never, you know who the first person who ever got me to, to work out was? Who? Okay, let me know. This is a good game. <laughs> okay, this is, oh, oh, I know who it is. I know who it is. I know absolutely who it is. Who? Amelia, it's Amelia. Totally, totally. I knew it. I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I never even, I don't even think I, I understood the concept of working out. I mean, it was like yeah. <laughs> you had PE at school, you, you know, maybe took a couple tennis classes, you know, but like working out actually, you know, yeah, he hooked me up with this guy, Jackson Sousa. Uh, 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 who, uh, get out. <laughs> I swear he came to my house. In his van? My parents' house. I don't remember up in the street? car. No, it was in my, in the back of it because I was still living with my parents when I you know was doing oh these God. movies. Um, and I remember, and I was pretty skinny. I mean, I was just like very naturally a skinny kid. But I remember him pinching me and telling me, "Oh, you know what that is? That's that's subcutaneous fat." <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I've never, never even, uh, I'm not sure I knew what subcutaneous meant um, and never, ever was called fat in any way, shape or form. But by, yeah, Jackson Sousa. But that that was the first time I ever worked out with a trainer. Thanks, Emilio. He was my trainer, too, Jackson Sousa. And he'd show up in a van and sometimes we would find a street, literally a cul-de-sac and pull over and he'd put all his shit out in the street and we'd work out in the middle of the street. Um, Oh, wow. And that was an Emilio Emilio used to wake me up. I, I'd be asleep and I'd wake up and Emilio would be standing over my bed. And he'd have, he would be fully dressed in his dolphin shorts and his <laughs> tank tops. And he would hold my running shoes in front of my face and wake me up in the morning. He goes, he wake, and he always said, 
wake up. It's your worst nightmare. An actor in running shoes. <laughs> and that's what he said. To me. And then I would have to go run with him from Point Doom to Trancus and back. Wow. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and, more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you, Are you still friends with Emilio? I haven't seen him in a long, 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 long time. Because he's. I think he's like living in Ohio part-time and stuff. And, and then he's shooting up in Canada. Yeah, same. I see Martin a lot. Um... We did the West Wing reunion, and he's you know just the best. And um, yeah. and every once in a while, I'll uh, I'll get a really funny phone call from Charlie. Um, and I had McCarthy, I had Andrew on the podcast a few weeks ago. He was so great. I I hadn't sp- seen or spoken to Andrew in so many years. And and his book's amazing. If you haven't read it, it's quite great. I haven't read it yet. He um, he very nicely sent me all of the the you know, sections that I was in, which, oh, wow. you know, he didn't, he didn't have to, but I, I thought that was really nice of him and he was very respectful and, you know, um, he's a really good writer. I mean, he's, he's another one who's been sort of writing for years and getting progressively better. And, um, yeah, he's a, 
He's a good guy. His son played my son in in his first movie, which was oh weird God. because it was like I would have these moments where I would look across and I would just see Andrew's eyes. Like oh. they don't really look a lot of like, but they have the same eyes. And they're both a total pain in the ass. So I'd be like, oh my God, yeah. I'm like back in time. Oh, well, <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> I, my my youngest son um, is an actor and starred in his first movie this summer, big independent movie. Well, independent, I don't know how big it is, but it's an independent movie. And his dad was played by Andrew. Oh my God. <laughs> and so it really feels like the, like the Matrix is yeah. about to break. Yeah, I agree. My daughter, uh, Matilda, has just started acting, just did her first self-tape. and Oh, my God. And it's so it's so funny because I, I, I feel like I've gotten to the point now where, you know, rejection doesn't sting as much as it always did. Because, you know, I've, I've had incredible success, but like any actor, you, you know, you go through, there's always somebody else that, that yeah. they want. You know, sure. no matter how much you do, there's always that, that sting of rejection. But I finally have gotten to a place where I get a lot of my creative um you know, juju from somewhere else. And so I don't really need it as much. Um, and then now that my daughter's doing it, I, I feel rejection so much more. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, oh my God, now I have to start all over again, feeling all of this stuff. And it's way worse when it's your kid. I don't know if you feel that way, but I mean, I, I feel that way. Like how could anybody not just think, you know, as, and she's really good. I was really, I, that was another thing I was really nervous about is what, what if I have a, an actor kid and they just suck? You know, what am I going to, what, what am I going to say? Yeah. Like, what oh, do that's you do? A, that's a real issue. I'll tell you what I, freaks me out is all of the self-tapes. Because when yeah. we were, when we were in a, there was no self-tape. I remember when it was a big deal for them to have a, a camera in the audition. Like they had to tell your agents they were going to do it. You had to agree to it. It was yeah. r- super frowned on. Yeah, it's like you would always say, you know, she'll she'll do the meeting, she'll do the reading, but she won't do the self tape, or yep. you know, or she'll meet with you, but she won't read. I mean, yeah, there's all these rules about it, and the self tape, they would always say, oh, it's just for blah blah blah, it's just to see the chemistry, or it's just for this, nothing's ever going to happen with it. But of course, like they're all on YouTube now, or you know, I just yeah. got. I just got, I had to sign off to have a self-tape that I did, or not a self-tape, but a, you know, a videotape because they're releasing the, the um, behind the scenes for uh, Labyrinth, which I auditioned for back wow. in the day that Jennifer Connelly got. And I was, part of me was really annoyed just because they told us, you know, that these weren't going to go anywhere. And then the other part of me is like, ah, fuck it. I don't care. The outsiders auditions are out there a lot and they're, they're so not. They're so mental. My favorite one is Kate Capshaw. Wow. And it's like so incongruent. You're like, wait, that's Steven Spielberg's wife. And and they're like, and how old are you? And she goes, ah. <laughs> good answer. Yeah. Those old audition things are, are, are so crazy. I love Matilda. Matilda. I love that. That's so good. Maybe she and Johnny can do a movie together. Yeah. How old is your son? He's 25. Okay. And did you do the the thing where you didn't let him act for a long time or were you yep. always Yep. Yeah, that's it's what the I did. Uh, it's the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow rule, I call it. What's that? So I'm um, I'm very friendly with the Paltrow family and have been since Gwyneth was probably 15 and mm-hmm. it was like patently obvious that she was a a sensation in waiting. Mm. It wasn't even up for debate. 
And, you know, people throwing movie roles at her, modeling contracts. She's like a 15-year-old girl, isn't she? She's like, whatever. Yeah. And and I would and then when she fi- she finally did, you know, work and won the Oscar so early, I remember at the party talking to her dad, Bruce Paltrow, who created many great television series. And, and I had young kids and I was fearful that they wanted to be in the business. And I said, Bruce, what did you do with Gwyneth? Like, how did you handle it? And he said, we just had one rule. She had to go to college and she did not act until she was at least 18. And now, by the way, Gwyneth immediately dropped out of college. (laughs) But that was that was the rule I had with with uh, with my boys too, the Paltrow rule. Okay, well, that's good. I wish I had known the Paltrow rule because I have been I have been suffering for years. Why won't you let me? Why Mm. won't you? You know, and I'm like, look, you can you can act. You can learn to act. I got her teachers. You know, I I feel like I could teach somebody else's kid how to act um, or or I could teach them to be a better actor. You can't do that with your own kid or at least I can. So I got her with a really good teacher um, and I'm like, you know, you're just you just need to have a really big toolbox because, you know, maybe more doors will open for you, but people maybe might be a little bit more critical than they will with the average, you know, person. Um, but I wish I would have known the, the Paltrow rule because that would have made my life a lot easier. <laughs> but it's hard though. Like if they get like a, somebody comes to them with something that's really great. You're like, mm. there's something I want to ask you actually, please. Turn the tables. Are you still married to uh, the mother of your children? Cheryl, yes. Cheryl and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary last week. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, That's amazing. Uh, So I'm sure people have asked you this before, but what do you um, what do you attribute to the the longevity? Because I think, you know, especially in in Hollywood, that's not uh, that's not so easy to um, to be with the same person for, for, you know, forever. I always say the same thing. It's that I believe it's Alfred Hitchcock. It might have been another director. It might have been Billy Wilder. But when they asked um, them, what do you attribute the keys to a hit movie? And he said, casting. Hmm. And I think that's what it is with a marriage. It's it's casting and, you know, picking the right person, you know. And Mm -hmm. and I, I really believe that that battle is won and lost right there and you know for you know for me Cheryl is and was and is my best friend right and Mm. um so no matter what we started from that place and and the rest of it all followed and Mm. so no matter what that's the basis when everything ebbs and flows and look you know there's good days and there's bad days in any long-term relationship but if the baseline is best friendship, like, like when something good or bad happens, it's the first person you want to talk to about. Or if you have, I remember I had one, I had the ability to bring somebody on a press tour around the world on a movie, anybody when I was single, anybody. And, and, and there are times when I brought male friends and my best buddies. And when I met Cheryl, I was like, I'm going to bring Cheryl. And, and that's sort of when I was like, yeah, if if you have one seat on a worldwide tour and you want that person to be with you. Oh, <laughs> I really love that. I'm I'm going on. Um, it'll next February will be 21 years with my husband. Whoa, no, that's um, a long yeah, time. Who also, as you could see, was also my IT guy. <laughs> I love that. 
But yeah, I feel the same way. You know, I, I really feel like if I was going around the world, he would be the person I would want to, to go around the world with. And he's he's the one I want to talk to at the end of the day and, you know, wake up to in the morning. And, and that really has never gone away. And so, yeah, I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, I'm 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 happy for you. That is, that is good. And you know, people listening is like that's a a really good litmus test. You know, yeah. if if the it, it, you know if if it isn't that person, you maybe want to rethink it because the rest of it comes, goes, whatever. But that never goes away. Yeah, and also somebody that can make me laugh. I mean, he makes me laugh like crazy, and that that's always been really important for me. That's actually something that I I realized um, about you because I didn't really know you. Uh, I mean, I feel like we had all these people in common, but I didn't know you until we did uh, <laughs> the stand together. And I remember sort of like, oh, my God, he's so funny. Like, I just <laughs> thought of you as this, like, good looking guy. And then you just made me laugh so, so much. Do you remember that scene that we had to do where it was like the camera? We all we ha- had to respond to something and the camera was like moving in really fast. <laughs> and we had to go like, <gasps> do you remember that day? Yes, I do. <laughs> You know, I think we shot it for 100 years. I mean, we literally oh, shot it. Was the, like a, it was a six-month shoot in, in Utah. Six months. Yeah, six months. So um, I had never – we're talking about acting and acting, learning acting, acting coaches. I was pretty much self-taught and, and started working from such a young age. I learned on the job. But my wife, as is her want, will say things to me like, you know, this is a really good part, honey. Thank you. Maybe you should get an acting coach. <laughs> Thank you, I think. So so when um, th- I got the stand, um, I'm playing the, the, the character who, you know, can't talk, can't hear. And so she's like, this is really an opportunity. So I, I went and I studied with Roy London. Now, Roy London, if you don't, he was the man in Los the, Angeles. Yeah, the guy. Mm-hmm. The guy. And so he had, I think, Brad Pitt when he was blew up with Thelma and Louise was a big Roy London Sharon Stone from The Jump was Roy London, Gary Shandling. Uh-huh. And so I met with Roy's, you know, I, he, he says, send me the scripts and then we'll come talk about them. I send him the scripts. He reads all the scripts. I come and sit with him and he says, so tell me what you're thinking. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. He's, he's deaf and, you know, I'm deaf in one ear as well. I can barely, I can't hear at all in one side of my head. So, I mean, it, it might be an interesting thing where I get a device and, you know, like a titness, whatever, the tinnitus device and put it in my ear so mm-hmm. I can put a white noise in it so then I don't hear it. And he goes, let me just, please, let me just, let me just ask you, why would, why would you want to do that? <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? Because he's deaf. And I mean, he goes, yeah, I understand that. But you're playing the part and you're not deaf. I said, well, yeah. And he goes, why would you ever want to add another level of falsehood to your performance. Because mm. I'm thinking about like people who are blind, so they put a fucking mask on and stagger around their house for eight weeks, all that shit mm-hmm. you hear about all the time from actors. And Roy's thing was, that's exactly what you do not do. And his thing, and this is the most counterintuitive, bizarre thing. And by the way, I don't use it all the time because it's so, but he was like, the fact of the matter is you hear. So what you have to do is figure out why your character hears and chooses to let people think he doesn't and he goes and of course you must not ever tell anyone (laughs) molly ringwald this i I, this has been so fun this makes my heart just swell and be happy 
It's Aww. really, really great to see you again, talk to you. I'm so glad. Uh, congratulations on living your best life, as the kids say today. Thank you. You too. And I hope that we uh, we get a chance to work together again, maybe in a Marvel movie. And I'll see you at the at the Marvel, the super secret Marvel gym. I will be in the treadmill next to you, uh, hooked up to um, an IV. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Thanks, Molly. Thank you. Well, that was fun. She's so thoughtful and smart. And it's always good to see somebody who's been there, done that, and is living a great life and loving their life and in a great place and just legitimately makes my heart happy. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Okay, so before we wrap up for the week, I know you're ready. I know I am. Uh, It is time. Yes, it is for the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. One. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob. This is uh, Dakota here in Nebraska. I was wondering if you actually like the Atkins products, kind of looking heavily into that, you know, low-carb, high-protein, low-sugar, too. Um, also, want to know how things are going with uh, 911 Lone Star. Can't wait for the new season. So, uh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> I just Dakota in Nebraska is great. It could have been Nebraska and Dakota just as easily. Um, so thanks for the, for the call. Um, not only do I love the Atkins stuff, like one of the things when, when I was talking about getting to, into business with Atkins, cause I've been eating the Atkins way for, for years. And w- frankly, wasn't even aware they had products at first was when they sent me the protein shakes and I, they were so, like literally like milkshakes. And I was like, this has to be bullshit. It has to be like these protein bars are so yummy. They can't possibly be, be as good for you and have the ingredients that they have. And they do. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in low carb life. Um, it's made a real, real difference for me. And same with low sugar, although that's that's hard to beat. That's a struggle that I uh, one step forward, two steps back. Um, 911 Lone Star. Thank you for watching. Uh, we finished the year as the, uh, I think, the number two rated show in all of television, two or three in all of TV. So we will be back um, for our third season, and we will be back premiering in January of this coming year. We will not be back in the fall. We're going to be in January on Monday nights, same place on Fox. And um, really, really super good stories coming up. I'm really, really excited about about year three, and I love doing it, and I love that... Uh, People are loving it as much as they are. Thanks for calling. We'll be back next week with more Literally. Don't forget to um, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Um, It's very good for uh, the Literally family. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaro for Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn, and music is by Devin Tory Bryant. Make sure to leave us a rating and review, and we'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. Hey, it's Rob Lowe. 
I'm here to tell you about a brand new podcast from Team Coco and Stitcher. It's called Parks and Recollection. It is literally the definitive podcast about parks and recreation. It's hosted by me and my co-host, producer, writer, and most importantly, mouse rat bassist, Alan Yang. That's right, Rob. You know, I was in the writer's room of Parks and Rec for every single season of the show, and there's so many great stories about the making of the series. It's time to share them with the world and revisit a little town called Pawnee, one episode at a time. I'm very curious to know how you and Greg Daniels and Mike Schur came up with this insane world that I was lucky enough to join. And then I'm going to tell you what goes on in the makeup and hair trailer. Yeah, the podcast is going to be great. We're going to hear from amazing guests like Chris Pratt, Fred Armisen, Ben Schwartz, to really inside people who are going to give you the, the kind of look at the show that you wouldn't otherwise expect. Here's a preview of what we have in store. And about halfway through the first season, they were like, we actually like Chris more than we like this character. So let's just turn the character into Chris. Someone had emailed my agent being like, hey, we have this role for Ben if he's interested in, and nobody ever told me. And then the assistant at the desk passed on the role for me without even telling me that it came through, which is like the scariest thing in the world because this role ended up being such a huge deal for me. I remember heatedly arguing against April and Andy getting together. (laughs) I took something from set. I just said to whoever was around me, hey, can I grab this coffee mug? And they said yes, but not in a way of like, oh my God, of course. You know, there was a moment of, yes, that's okay. So Aubrey came in, it was like, no brainer. We were casting Scott Pilgrim at the time. So we sent her to Mike Shore first and he instantly said, okay, we got to write a part for this woman. You would have made DJ Roomba. Yes, made DJ Roomba. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> She's DJ Roomba's mom. He's just like a you know an iPod player and a and a Roomba. Suite. Don't talk about him like that. <laughs> so that's just a peek at what we have coming up. First episode of Parks and Recollection drops on September fourteenth. Subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode. I don't even care that I don't make an appearance until season two. Doesn't make any difference to me. A Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.